morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Uh, I'm Steve Williamson. Sitting across from me is Karen McClellan. Karen, say hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, we had a little bit of a different intro telling us the show was on. Uh, before we introduce our guest, we're actually hiding who our guest is. It's, it's, uh, no, we're not. But what we need to uh, ask for money. It's been three years since we've had a fundraiser. And in those three years, the cost to the radio, buying radio time, which is our really our major expense. We have three expenses, post office box, so you can send uh, uh, stuff there, um, our um, uh, radio time that we pay for. And, um, of course, we, we also have our uh, – I wasn't thinking about that. We have our web website costs, uh, which we have to pay for the site and so forth and so on. Um, we're in desperate need of money, and we need folks to go to our web page, not the Facebook page, but the web page. And the, it's, the address is org. If that's too much, you can go to vvid.org. And on the front page of our website is a uh, little button that you can press, and you can donate. What would really help us is regular donations. Even if they're small, if we could get regular monthly donations, it would make up the amount of money that we need. Um, we've been on air now for 11 years in April um, this month. April 4th, I think, this month was our first show 11 years ago. And we've managed to stay on one way or another. But we're now in the biggest crunch of our history as a show. We've lost uh, uh, two of our dear friends and also very generous supporters, and we haven't been able to do a uh, fundraiser until now. So our fundraiser uh, is going to be on, uh, get this folks, you won't forget it, Friday the 13th of May. May uh, 13th on Friday from 5 to 7. It'll be in the courtyard of the beautiful El Portal uh, Hotel beautiful boutique hotel down near the Talakapaki uh, area. Uh, five to seven, uh, come. There's no entrance fee or, or required donations. Come, we'll have, you know, wine, beer, we have drinks and, uh, um, and hors d'oeuvres and lots of talk and discussion. It's a good chance to meet um, local people who share or differ to some extent from, from your views and be able to talk to them. Um, yeah, we really had a lot of fun at our fundraisers. I, the, the, actually, I, sh- we sh- I should call them fundraisers rather than fundraisers, but we have a good time. So we're having one on May 13th between 5 and 7 p.m. at the El Portal Courtyard. It's a beautiful courtyard, grape uh, vine hanging over the trellises on top. Um, and we hope you'll be there. Um, we need your support. If you can't make the fundraiser, 
go on our website and click that little boat, uh, button and donate us some money. We are in serious shortfall. I'd hate to see the show end abruptly now, given the situation politically, uh, to suddenly sort of end after 11 years. But otherwise, we were, we're down to a, just a few months' uh, ability to, to, to pay the high fees the station charges us. And their demands that we pay up front every month. So, so we're in this desperate situation. We, we do need your support. Um, if we don't get support, we really won't continue on air. I'd love to get support from radio listeners as well as uh, people listening to the podcast. So, Karen, having, if I sit, can I ask for more money in different ways or am I done? I think we've sort of got it all, but this is, you know, your one chance to sort of listen to, you know, in the, talking with candidates and other sort of activists in the various areas, your education, climate things we're all interested in to talk on things and with sort of a, a local slant to things where we can talk to candidates about issues that are local here. We can talk, you know, because we, we will be in the course of the next few months for here, you know, getting the statewide candidates on the air, getting other candidates on the air. So a chance to hear their viewpoints on issues of the environment that matter to us and open space, public lands, um, short term rentals, education, you know, taxes, all the things that, that all of us really need to, and it's a chance to listen to Karen casual and conversations. Be, in there. Oh, sorry. Karen and I will be talking about uh, uh, Democrats and, and progressives and the, me- and the media, what can be done, and about uh, Democratic Party messaging. Uh, but there will be lots of other themes, though, Karen. So having interrupted you once, you can introduce <laughs> our guest. <laughs> Good morning, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so today, one of those issues that we're all you know, really interested in, and this year is you know, I know, stranger year than some on this, is public education. So we've got uh, Nikki Nikovich on today, and I've known Nikki for quite a few years. She's been working as a, sort of an outreach director, an organizer, an advocate for several different statewide education organizations. And she, like lots of people you talk to on education, got involved as a mother, you know, going to her school's PTA, going to things and realizing that the real issue was not what her local school was doing, but statewide funding and statewide education policies. So she's done a lot of those different groups. She's done a lot of other political organizing. Right now, she's the statewide outreach director for Save Our Schools Arizona, which, if you may remember, several years ago collected the signatures to put a voucher expansion on the ballot. Um, they work with, with lobbying down at the legislature. And they work with educating parents and community members about how education funding works and who to talk to when you have problems, how to, where to put your energy, which is changing some of our state laws on funding and policy, as, you know, which is sometimes more important than what's happening in the local school. Because we, all of us in local schools, we need money to do all the wonderful things that our parents in our communities want us to do. So Nikki's been working on that, I don't know how many years it is, 10 years, 8 years? I forgot how long ago it was. But Nikki's been doing that as, as starting out as she sort of self-described angry mother, you know, who wants to change things, and uh, now has become a statewide political activist. So good morning, Nikki. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. super excited to be here. That was a perfect introduction, yeah. and I love that you included the angry mother because that really is where this all started for me. Um, I have kids in Arizona public schools, so it's personal for me, um, and it continues to be really the perspective of a mother here in this state. So thank you for that. I'm excited. 
you know, because we need them that everybody who becomes, you know, sort of statewide political activist and working on these things, lots of them just started out as community activists, upset with some something local who, you know, transferred their vision because they realized they need to do more than just lobby your local school board or your local city council or your local legislator. You need to get involved to change policy. And uh, you're that, sort of an example that of that. That strikes me as the important thing, thing. Karen, is that people uh, respond to their local school board and they criticize it or they like it or whatever and they support local schools. But realizing, as Nikki has, that the real issue or a major real issue is statewide with the legislature and with the uh, executive leadership of the state, I think if I'm going from local to understanding that the problem doesn't originate in localities but originates in state policies. So, Nikki, uh, tell us a little bit about your organization. I know Karen knows all about it because she's been involved in it. Absolutely. So Save Our Schools was formed um, in 2017. As Karen noted, um, we referred a major voucher expansion here in Arizona. It would have been the first statewide full-on voucher expansion in the country. And so we recognized early on, you know, in those days that that bill was going to be extremely dangerous for our public schools here in Arizona. Um, so we referred it. We gathered signatures to send it to the ballot um, in the No on 305 campaign. And, and we won that initiative. We um, stopped the voucher expansion. Um, shortly after, the Save Our Schools organization started looking at kind of next steps. You know, what do you do now that you've, you've stopped this dangerous bill, but you know that many more are headed your way and funding continues to be a concern here in Arizona. And so we stayed, you know, we stayed together and, and grew our reach in the state as a statewide organization that, that as Karen noted, um, you know, works with parents, teachers, and community members to really understand these issues. Uh, for us, one of the biggest hurdles for parents and teachers that are concerned about what's going on in our schools is it's hard to track what these lawmakers are doing. They're not open about the process of passing bills. Um, they're not transparent about the deals that are being made. We've seen, you know, a num number of budgets pass in the middle of the night down at the Capitol with, with no um, citizens, you know, input on those. And so, one of the things that we've worked really hard at is making sure that parents and teachers that are concerned about these issues have a place to go and a resource to better understand the impact of these. Um, in Maricopa County, you know, it's slightly easier to stay connected to the capital, but I live in Yavapai County, and so the disconnect is real. Uh, that capital may be an hour and a half away, but it, it might as well be, you know, across the country for how much we hear up here in Yavapai County about what they're doing. And that's true for a lot of our rural communities. You know, you get out of Maricopa County and the impact is felt in these, these communities more deeply. And we know that, uh, but we get less and less information. And so Save Our Schools is really devoted to making sure that people understand what happens at the Capitol is having direct negative impact on your, your kids, on your family, on your community as a whole, and giving parents a place to go to better understand not just what's going on, but how they can push back on that and how they can stop, you know, that impact from coming into their community and harming young people, which is, you know, really what the goal is, um, is to protect our students. They're in our classrooms. They, they have needs. We will, of course, 
We always want to make sure that we meet those needs, and Arizona has failed to do that. And so we kind of bring everybody in on that subject and make sure, you know, everybody knows where to use their voice and where the fight is. And and for the most part, the fight is at the state capitol. You know, that is where these policies are coming out that harm our local school districts, and that is where, you know, we need to put a stop to them. Yeah, and, and this year it seems more than some years is we have leg- more legislators down in the Capitol who are more willing to pretty much admit they really aren't interested in funding public education. Uh, we've you know, seen some of the ones who say they, they don't feel education needs another public needs another penny. You know, they're more interested in, in voucher privatization. They're more interested in cutting taxes for the very wealthy Arizonans than funding anything. But we've had that. We've seen the, uh, a lawsuit that's going on now about funding the capital funding, or like school building funding. And some of the the people who are opposing the lawsuit, which was brought by school boards and school administrators and, and some years ago, the people have sort of said that they don't see why you need to spend money on buildings. You know, the Arizona Constitution says teachers have to teach. And as long as a teacher is teaching, it doesn't matter if there's a hole in the roof. You know, they can hold up an umbrella while they teach, you know, if the rain's coming down. So we've seen, that seems to me, the last year or two, much more of, a, of this vocal feeling when I mean, people are willing to stand up and say, I don't believe in public education, essentially. It should all be private education, and the parents should be able to have their students learn whatever they want to, and let's provide ways for the parents to, to do that by, you know, expanding voucher funding, uh, you know, not we're looking at the differences that exist between how charters and schools and public schools are funded and they just seem to be much more energized on the, the anti-education side than they were five or ten years ago i wanted to ask what the so an issue karen raises how is the funding different for charter schools and and regular public schools is is the funding system fair i know this is a little bit of a side issue on our because there's so much bad legislation down at the <laughs> state house as usual but is, is that fair? Are, are charter schools being advantaged over private schools by the funding? Yeah, I mean, I think it's super complicated here in Arizona, and that's by design. You know, if you can overcomplicate the funding process, you alienate your community from being able to weigh in. And that's what we see with all of these different modalities, right? Like we have our public district schools, and we have charter schools that are public, and then we have private schools that have come in that are also publicly funded. And so I get this question a lot, like what, why are we funding these different models and are they being funded disproportionately? You know, is one school um, benefiting from some of these funding practices? Um, here at Save Our Schools, we see charter schools as public schools, you know, and they are very similar. So when you look at how they're, they're funded, um, they're funded through the same mechanism as your, your regular district school they do receive additional dollars, so they have a fi- higher funding um, dollar amount statewide for what they, you know, what the state acknowledged was um, a lack in capital dollars for every school. They just bumped those charter school dollars up a little bit to make up for that. Um, and then you have your your district public schools that are funded, you know, slightly lower, and and that is felt across the board. I will say, particularly rural districts, probably feel that a little deeper. Um, due to their struggle to pass bonds and overrides and local elections, you know, they really are the lowest funded, typically in the state, rural, and low-income communities. And then you have private schools that are completely separate. So private schools are funded through, like, a voucher program or an STO program. 
And their funding can be substantially higher based on what the students' needs are. So here in Arizona, we put weights on kids. Um, and so those private schools, they collect those dollars, and we, we can't see anything after that. So we basically hand over our taxpayer dollars, and then that's the end of the transaction. We don't know where it's spent. We don't know um, how the student's doing. We kind of can no longer track it the second that we hand over taxpayer dollars. And so that's where you see a little bit of confusion because you have these three, you know, distinctly different varieties of school educational opportunities in Arizona, none of which um, are doing well. You know, I always say, like, charter schools are also underfunded, and people are always a little shocked by that. They're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Charter schools are public schools, and they are funded, you know, down in the bottom statewide as well. And if you compare that to national, these charter schools aren't aren't being funded well either. The problem with them is that you have for-profit charter schools that are taking this low funding amount, and then they're, they're absorbing some of that for their shareholders or their CEOs. And that's making it even worse for these students and teachers that are in these charter schools. So the confusion around you know, how we fund these different systems is completely by design. It's meant to make sure that taxpayers and community members have no clue what's going on and no idea how to address the issue. And that's why, you know, you get questions. I get questions like that all the time because it's confusing for for a taxpayer to say, I want accountability for those dollars. Please explain to me how you're spending them. And they're going into multiple different, different schools, different systems. Um, and nobody is saying, you know, what's obvious here, which is we can't even fund one school system. Why did we build different yeah. schools? Which makes it even and harder. That's kind yeah. of the big problem in yeah. Arizona with this model of school choice. You're tying taxpayer dollars up in this and defunding your public yeah. schools in the process. And the whole pro- and nobody's accountable for that. Yeah, and the whole process makes it much harder to answer to counter the continual sort of myths about public schools, that the superintendent gets all the money in your school, you know, and the sort of things, because I tell people that all the time, the only school school type in Arizona that's completely transparent is your public school. If you want to know what the superintendent's salary is, you can find out. It's public knowledge. It's public information. If you want to know how much your public school spends on school buses, that's public if you want to want to know, you know, the the, the salaries of the, the people in the school, if you want to know what the football coach's salary is, because you think, oh, they're spending all their money on football, you can find all that is public information. It's much harder to find on charter schools, and you cannot find it out at all for a totally private school, of course, because they're private entities. So that's made it because we talk all the people complain, oh, if the if you didn't waste all the money on superintendents, you'd have plenty of money to hire more teachers, which we know is not true, because that you know. The, the total pie is not very big for anybody in Arizona. And let, me, it's, let me ask you both this, Karen. You can answer this yeah. too, and, and because it comes from sort of a naive place, is you know Arizona is not a poor state. This is not Mississippi. This mm-hmm. is not Alabama. This is not a state that's at the bottom of the economic success mm-hmm. ladder of the United States, and yet it has almost the the poorest funding of, of students in the country. So we're a state with a great deal of money, successful entrepreneurship, new businesses coming in, and we have education at the yeah. very bottom. I mean, I'd like to ask you both, you know, how, why you think that is? Why, why, are, why are we at the very bottom when we're not economically? We know one of the main reasons is Arizona is a very low tax state. 
income taxes, property taxes, we may be high on sales taxes, but the income taxes and property taxes that are the base for state funding for education, for roads, for um, uh, public health services, we're very low on those things. If you live in, in, in eastern states, you pay a lot higher rates in income and property taxes, and your, and your local school correspondingly gets a lot more money. And Nikki? Yeah, I mean, Karen, I think, alluded to it, but I would take it even a little bit further. So here in Arizona, our state budget is entirely too small. If you look at comparable states um, that generate the same amount of revenue and have similar populations, they have billions more than we do. And the reason for that is that Arizona actually gives away more of their revenue in tax breaks and cuts than they actually collect. And so when I go to the Capitol and I meet with lawmakers, they'll say, you know, we, we can't raise taxes. We can't we can't put this burden on our middle and lower income families. And I say I 100 percent agree. We don't need to raise taxes necessarily. You just simply need to collect those tax dollars and stop shuffling them out through the legislative process. We know that the majority of those tax cuts and breaks do not benefit middle and lower income earners. They do not benefit our working class families that are in our schools that are that are generating um, revenue for the state. You know, they are not seeing the benefit of those tax cuts and breaks. The majority are staying at the top within our high-income earners, you know, and we've seen that consistently with Arizona. And so if you're going to prioritize high-income earners, then you're going to shift your tax burden to your lower- and middle-income families, and you're still not going to have enough revenue because you're giving away, you know, more than you take in every year, and it's creating a deficit. And I will say, this has gotten worse, and the rhetoric around it has gotten worse in the last couple of years. If you look at the most recent court ruling, overturning the referral on the flat tax, uh, the flat tax will be even more dangerous and it will cause even more deficit within our state budget. Within a couple of years of implementation, we anticipate about $2 billion coming out of our state budget. And about a billion of that is going to be K-12 schools. And that's about about 10% of the income of the state, isn't it? Or more than 10%. I forgot exactly what our state... We're right around $12 billion in our state budget right now. And so... If we are in trouble now, which I think is obvious that we're in trouble now, if you look at social services, if you look at water, if you look at education, all of these programs are struggling, and we have pushed ahead with a flat tax that we know is going to take revenue. And we've heard it before, right? If you give tax breaks, it generates economic growth. And the question I always have is, like, how long does that take? Because our schools have been underfunded for a long time and you keep saying you're going to generate economic growth to cover your bills and we have not seen that we have not seen that at all a really good example of how dangerous a flat tax can be is kansas you know kansas implemented a tax like this very similar and they had to repeal it within just a few years because their state budget was completely broke they could not support the state's needs so they had to pull that back and so arizona you know, we're we're barreling towards what could be an economic crisis through this tax policy that they continue to push. And so far, I have heard very little concern about how we make up for that revenue and how we make sure that our communities don't feel the impact of decisions made in the capital. And I suspect it's because they know there's going to be an impact. 
they know that the state budget is going to struggle. If you take 10% out, you know, within a few years, you're going to have a hard time. And if you couple in the factor that they have a surplus now and they're still refusing to fund K-12 schools, I can't imagine how, how hard it's going to be to get them to fund our schools when they're running in a deficit without a surplus. And we go right back to 2008 where they originally defunded Arizona schools. We're going to be in the same situation, you know, slashed budget, layoff teachers, closed down schools. You know, they're headed for the exact same economic policies that created the problem in Arizona schools. And nobody seems to be saying we should slow down. You know, the majority party at the legislature is celebrating, you know, this this overturning of the flat tax. They're celebrating all the tax and breaks they're getting, and they're refusing to invest in their priorities. I've, I've heard it described as if you didn't pay your mortgage, you would have a ton of, of extra money, right? But it doesn't actually mean that you're maintaining anything. You're just refusing to pay your bills, and that's what our capital has done for so long. They're not funding schools. They're just refusing to do that, and so now they have a surplus because they've taken that surplus on the backs of our kids and their educational opportunities, and now they're celebrating as if that's smart smart fiscal policy, which is, you know, you would never celebrate someone refusing to pay their bills and having extra money. Of course they do. If you don't pay your bills, you know, money's easy to come by, I suppose. Yeah, and the state's got that rainy day fund. I don't know what what they're waiting for. You know, you know, to most people, they would feel it would be a rainy day, not only on education, but there's other, obviously other issues you said that we're underspending on a lot of which have to do with children in some way. It's not just children's education, it's children's health care, social services, the Department of uh, Child Protective Services, all of the early childhood education, you know, support for uh, daycare for, you know, single mothers, you know, every single one of these things that sort of revolve around the family and children seems to be because you've got these people who seem to have that that's the family's issue and the rest of us don't really need to concern ourselves with like the victorian idea of the poor are always with us and if you're poor and you can't afford some kind of service that's somehow to do with you it's a moral failing on your part it's not to do with anything else that's external and nobody and the government has no no need to help you out so we have a state that's booming economically, uh, has an influx of population. It's doing well by per, pretty much every measure. There are some measures maybe that it's not, but almost every measure it's doing extremely well, extremely well. And yet it's the whole focus is on cutting taxes and cutting benefits, particularly to younger people and to schools. And I guess the painful question is, is that because we have so many people who've lived their lives out of state and they move to Arizona as retirees and they don't care about what happens um, to younger people. They don't, they don't, they don't see it personally. They live in, you know, um, 55 plus communities or whatever. They don't see the problems. Does that have an effect or is it mostly, I guess that's my question. Is it mostly ideology of, of uh, the majority party, let's call it, <laughs> Who used to, in, when I grew up in Oklahoma, the majority party was very, very supportive of education. And now it's sort of totally reversed. So is it ideology or is it, is it something else to do with the demographics of the state? Well, I think um, it's a little bit of both. And, and I think it's hard to know, right, like what exactly voters are thinking when they stand by and watch things like this. 
what we do know to be true is that the majority of bonds and overrides in this state passed. Prop 208 passed. Prop 123 passed. Prop 301 passed. When you poll voters here in Arizona, um, across the board, they support public education. They want teachers to be paid better. They want kids to have smaller class sizes. They want extracurriculars. I think what happens in, in this happens in communities all over, probably more so in retirement communities, is it's so difficult for a voter to understand all of these issues we've discussed today. So they may have every intention of going to the ballot in November and supporting people who, who share their values around public education, but it can be hard to navigate that since every politician is running to support schools, right? You never hear a politician openly admit, I don't really like these schools during an election year. They, they won't put that on their flyers and hang it on your door. And so for a regular voter, given all of the chaos that we see at the Capitol and given all of the rhetoric around schools, it can be difficult for them to navigate decision-making at the ballot and, and really understand what some of these things mean. A good example is the polling around the, you know, the phrasing school choice. Voters believe that parents should have a say in their, their child's education. They don't understand the ramifications all the time of pushing a school choice model. You know, when you, when you push out these kind of ideologic phrases rather than an explanation for what they mean, it causes confusion within the electorate. And that is what we see lawmakers that run for office. They use that confusion with the electorate and they manipulate them. And and before you know it, voters are saying, wait, I thought you were going to support schools. I thought this was good for my community school. And it's even more difficult when you come from another state, you move into Arizona. They have they have no clue the complex and chronic defunding that has happened in this state. And so when a politician says to them, you know, I am a school supporter. I am, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to absolutely address these issues. And they're, you know, newly moved into the state. Other states don't have issues like this. And so I've talked to a lot of voters who will will ask me questions about, you know, newly moved in voters who will say, well, I don't know what that means, for-profit charters. That's illegal where I came from. And I said, I, I understand. Yeah. Like, and, well, and we it's also... It's not illegal here. Yeah, and have, that's the problem, is they're not completely aware of the mess that's been created in our classrooms and so they don't always know how to respond that's where the responsibility of and and a lot of of, to let them know and in arizona you know parents let alone community members don't understand you know the rights they have lots of states we have small local school boards lots of states do not have local school boards they have county school boards some states have state school boards so lots of people Mm -hmm. don't understand it that while as a local school board member i can't affect the budget that my school district works with but it is the local school board that makes final decisions regarding you know curriculum in many ways regarding regarding school policies regarding all these issues so this sort of current sort of parents rights movement we hear of people coming to school boards demanding changes and things don't that they're the mechanism for parents and community members to voice opinions on that is already there and that's you know those are things that you that the school board can affect and so but people have gotten you know buying this idea that that school boards and public schools shut parents out they don't want parents to be involved they don't care what the community thinks you know that's sort of again a, this false narrative that's got that's got a political push 
And I, so I it's, think people hear that, and then they, and they don't, don't bother Karen to actually show up at and, a school board meeting. Except and to come and except in some places around there is there to come and complain. They don't make the phone call and say, I, "I'd like to know how did you make this decision, or how can I affect your decision?" And then they get the answer. Come in and look at the curriculum. You know, mm-hmm. you know, come in I, next Tuesday at two o'clock, and you can look at the history textbook. I think you know, that, the I think that that's really interested. a good yeah. point. That they can actually. As a Sedona school board member, they can come and talk to the school board, board yeah, and, and they can send you emails and that you you read all your emails we, and yeah. mail and and I think that people build up this um, i won 't call it rage but near rage and at at the frustration of not being heard, and then they haven 't gone through all these mechanisms that are sitting there for them to be yeah. heard no because we all know i 'm sure you know we 've all seen those polls. You know, we've all participated in them where it says my local school board or my local public school gets an A or B rating. You know, the schools in my state get a B or C rating. The schools nationally get an F rating. And if how can the school system in our state be terrible if parents are basically happy with their local – every parent is happy with its local school. How can the state schools be doing the wrong – be on the wrong track? You know, we all know they've got, you know, the monetary issues and teacher retention. With all of these things go back to money. But when it comes to people's, you know, parent satisfaction with their child's personal education opportunities, parents are generally happy. Then there's something yeah. really wrong with the way – things are being perceived, if that's true. Yeah. And that's true, I think, in most, almost all levels of government. I do appreciate your, Nikki, your point that so many people are new to Arizona. They don't really understand the problems here. And frankly, without people like, like you guys, it would, they would never figure out what was going on with the legislature and local schools. I mean, they arrive here, they really don't know. They come from a state where education is uh, better well funded. funded, better funded, and they arrive here and they see there's a debate, but it seems far away from their lives. It's not because they're retirees and don't care. It's because they're, re- they're they moved here, and and as you, I think what you pointed out is really useful is that it's such a, a maze to figure out who's what and who's what's actually doing something that people can't sort of work their way through it very easily. They, everybody is for schools. Mm-hmm. Nobody's against schools, and yet one guy is underfunding schools and the other guy is supporting them. Um, so I think that's a really good point, to look at it as, you know, r- people need to, we need to have a, a thorough discussion with, with recent arrivals to Arizona and with people who, who don't have a visceral involvement in schools. Their kids are no longer in school. They're grown up. But we need to talk to them uh, and I think those are very good points that you made. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it bears out in all of the evidence we see of voter behavior in Arizona. If you look at polling, if you look at bond and override issues, if you look at all the issues, voters at their core and at their heart, they want strong public schools. They understand the value, not just for students, but for communities. They just don't know how to get there. And the only way to get them there is by knocking on their door or calling them and saying, look, I'm a parent or a teacher um, in your local school or in this school down the road, and I need your help, and this is what's going on, and, and my kids are involved, and my family's involved, and, you know, I'll talk to you about the candidates and explain and kind of talk to you about the issues and, and help you better understand. I've knocked thousands of doors in this state, and very rarely do I ever have someone who just says to me, like, nope, I just want to defund your school. You know, they don't say that. Even retirees or, or new to Arizona voters, they want to help, by and large, up into the 70% of voters, which is 
pretty high given how divided we can be. Education is an issue that crosses party lines with voters. They, they, they will vote against their own party if they believe that their local school is in jeopardy because they do love their school. Yeah. And to your point about parent involvement, I find it funny that, that this argument takes foot in Arizona because I've been here eight years and I had like a full-time unpaid job getting involved in my kids' education for many years. The school was more than happy to not only invite me in, but to ask me to sit on various committees, to have me volunteer at my kids' school, in the classroom, for events, whatever it was. I've never had a teacher or an administrator in Arizona say anything other than, we want you here. Please, you know, feel welcome on our campuses. And I've never encountered a parent that has said otherwise. I've talked to a lot of angry voters that have said, you know, the school is is not allowing parents in. And I've always said to them, that's simply not true. That's rhetoric. And it's dangerous rhetoric because the schools are more than happy to have parents in there. In fact, if you're a parent in Arizona, you've probably gotten about 100 million emails asking you to volunteer and asking you to join a committee or asking you to, to attend a meeting, an informational night. You know, we have access. Parents have access to their schools. And if they're saying otherwise, they're probably hearing it from a national talking head who knows nothing about their community and doesn't care about their community. So this idea that we've been locked out of our public schools, I will yeah. push back on that every time and because the, I have children in our schools. And, and the I school districts in Arizona, res- they, they respond to the community and the parents. I mean, I... You know, I'm involved with a lot of the statewide school board association, and when we have discussions on how the, the association should look at legislative priorities, you can see that by talking to board members. The school mm-hmm. boards generally reflect their communities. We have school boards that, you know, somebody's definition, somebody would say, oh, that's a liberal left school board, and you have school boards that are very, very conservative, and they reflect the communities that they're serving. You know, the priorities in small rural school districts are different than they are in big urban districts. The priorities of some small, very close-knit communities where people have been there for generations and they stay are different than communities where people are moving in and out more for job reasons. But it, the school boards in each of those communities reflect that, and they, they do reflect that, and they do when it comes down to things school boards have an ability to change, like curriculum, school policies, dress codes, how big your sports program is. All of these things are decided at, ultimately at the local level with uh, the caveat that they have to work within the funding the state gives them, which is, you know, a, a bottom Which is real limiting. Which is, lim- which is very limiting, and doesn't inc- it increases at a much slower rate than inflation. And, and yeah, we, uh, particularly now with a little bit higher inflation. Um, uh, that must be really hard on the school funding. Uh, in fact, generally, folks, this is Emiad, you can really talk, particularly at the local level, with your public officials. It's very easy to get a meeting with them. You can talk to, like, the mayor of Sedona or whoever you want to talk to. The fact that you can talk to it and, and go to it doesn't mean that necessarily the school board or the elected official is going to agree with you completely. But you really have your uh, 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 real access. And I, I, people, not just school boards, but everything, Karen, they decide nobody listens to them. Now, in part, that's because the 
schools can't do some of the stuff yeah. that they might want. If you want religious teaching in public schools, you you know, you they'll listen to you, but legally anyway, they can't do it even if they wanted to. So I, I think that's a really good message from both of you is if you have concerns about your local schools, even if you don't have kids in the system, Go and talk to somebody, connect up with them, send them an email, ask them why they're doing this or that. I mean, I think that that's really just a great idea. Don't get all mad or get mad, but find out what's going on. Find so, out the facts first and then and then get mad. You know, yes. Understand how, what you can do and then get mad. And like I said, direct like Nikki's doing, direct your attention towards the people we elect to the state legislature and to statewide office, the governor's office, the superintendent of public instruction, you know, those, those issues that... That's the problem yeah. is a lot of the, as we said earlier, is a lot of the problem is, it, is what Nikki found out when she started as a, uh, as a involved mother was a lot of the issues are not local. They're coming down yeah. from the state. So unfortunately, folks, you have to engage in, in yeah. understanding state politics as well and, as local And local particularly, issues. I think it's just those of us who live in the more rural parts of the state where we don't have, obviously, just due to population, the same number of representatives that you need to get to know those representatives and find something you can agree with. You know, they may not agree with funding, but they might agree with some other education issue. Or you can, you, know, you can become like Nikki with a statewide thing. And I know in this past year, Nikki has crisscrossed northern Arizona from border to border to all kinds of communities talking about, you know, getting, you know, you need to register to vote. You need to get involved in, in politics with the small P or big P, whichever you prefer. You need to, you need to talk, talk to your legislators. You need to call them up. You need to let them know how you feel because I'll say Save Our Schools has got organization that lots of quote-unquote statewide groups don't have where it really does have people doing regional coordinating things out in rural areas to try to educate those rural voters. So suppose uh, people want to support Save Our Schools. Um, Nikki, what should they do? Yeah, so there's a ton of options to support our efforts. As Karen noted, we have um, teams regionally, um, and that's deliberate on our part. We, We make sure that we have um, organizers in rural communities, in uh, suburban, urban communities, down south, up north, um, on indigenous lands. You know, we really do make sure that we're hearing the entire story because it does vary. And so if you want to support Save Our Schools, you can go to sosarizona.org um, backslash volunteer. You can sign up. And what that's going to do is it's going to send you to your local regional coordinator. So it doesn't send you to me, you know, statewide to try to explain it will send you to someone local who volunteers in our with our organization and they will help you understand kind of where you can plug in locally because the issues are so different that you if you're going to run a statewide organization you had better make sure that you're listening statewide on that and folks we very deliberate and careful in that in making yeah. sure that we fully understand these communities and we put in the time to understand what they're going through and what these policies you know, are doing. And time, time is up for us, yeah. Nikki. Nikki, Nikki. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're out of time. Arizona. We're out of time here. We've got like one minute yeah. for the show. Thank you so much. We want to uh, yeah. suggest Sharing. that you can hear this in all our shows on vvid.org. Remember our fundraiser on Friday the 13th. We're not afraid to have one then. Uh, come and support us at El Portal, 5 to 7 p.m., um, uh, fluids and snacks available. 
Um, so thank you for uh, being with us, Nikki, and uh, we'll have to drop in and talk to um, Save Our Schools again sometime this last uh, this mm-hmm. next year. Um, all, again, all our podcasts are on VVID. I mean, we have 11 years of podcasts on our, our station. We have a new Facebook page. Uh, you can just do a search for Democratic Perspective. Uh, used to go to an African group of the same name. I don't know where they were based, but they're gone now. So yeah. if you so. do the search, you'll actually end yeah. up on so Democratic you, Perspective yeah. broadcast. Yeah. Are we so you can share the Facebook page, share the downloads with your friends. So you know, every if they weren't able to tune in or you know someone else is interested in education, share this podcast with everybody you know so they can get active as well. been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.